I'm Luke Story. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. As healthy as I am and have been for so many years, and as someone who's worked on my health with such dedication, the one piece that's been really difficult for me to fix is my digestion. Whether that comes to the assimilation of protein, and I like to eat a lot of protein so that I can build muscle and also burn fat, or just basic digestion, uh, one of the things that I recently discovered that's really moved the needle is quality enzymes. And I'm talking about our friends over at Bioptimizers. Whether or not you're eating the forms of protein that I do, such as meat, fish, or eggs, the fact is that all of us need protein to be healthy. The issue is that with protein, especially proteins that are cooked, it's very difficult to digest and assimilate them because we lack the enzymes. So it doesn't really matter how much protein you're eating in terms of the grams, it's all about how much you can digest and assimilate if your goal is to build muscle and as a result to burn fat. The fact is that most enzymes on the market, if you want to fix this, actually suck because it's so expensive to produce enzymes in a way that makes them potent enough to do their job and work how they're designed to work. So Masszymes by Bioptimizers is my favorite enzyme on the market. I literally take these things multiple times each day. You know, when I run these ads, I'm always like, God, I wish we had a hidden camera so you guys could see I'm not I'm not uh, putting you on here. These things have really saved my life and improved my digestion dramatically. So anytime I make a protein smoothie or eat some meat or pretty much any meal I have, I'm going to throw down a couple of these enzymes. And if you want to watch these things in action, you can go to this link, it's masszymes.com forward slash Luke, and see the enzymes dissolve a raw steak. And that gives you an idea of how potent they are when it comes to helping you digest protein. That's masszymes.com forward slash Luke. That also happens to be the link where you can buy some of these enzymes. And you can do so with a risk-free 365-day full money-back guarantee, which is the gold standard in the industry. So again, go to masszymes.com. That's M-A-S-S-Z-Y-M-E-S.com slash Luke. And if you enter the code LUKE10 at checkout, you're going to save 10% off your order. That's masszymes.com slash Luke. That, my friends, is the sound of me popping open a cold can of Olipop. Now, like most kids that grew up in the 70s and 80s, I used to chug me some soda. I had no idea at the time, nor would I have cared, that it was extremely toxic and loaded with sugar and all sorts of other chemicals. So when I got into health 20 years ago, I had to give up soda. It was a sad day, and I knew that diet soda was even worse, probably because of the aspartame and all the other fake sweeteners and whatnot. But it was a sad day when I had to put down my soda can. So I was relinquished to the occasional sparkling water when it came to a fizzy drink. Enter onto the scene today, Olipop, as my new healthy alternative to soda. Now, it tastes just like the sodas I grew up with, but without the spoonfuls of sugar and artificial chemicals. They've got some delicious nostalgic flavors like vintage cola, classic root beer, orange squeeze, cherry vanilla, and my current favorite, strawberry vanilla. 
Olipop uses functional ingredients that combine the benefits of prebiotics, plant fiber, and botanicals to support your microbiome and benefit your digestive health. What's awesome about Olipop is that it's much, much lower in sugar than conventional sodas with only two to five grams of sugar from natural sources, so no added sugar. Their vintage cola has just two grams of sugar as compared to a regular Coca-Cola that has 39 grams of sugar. So just for comparison, that's how crazy this gets. And and all their products are non-GMO, vegan, paleo, and keto friendly with less than eight grams net carbs per can. So if you're ready to check out some Olipop, here's what's up. We've got an exclusive deal for Lifestylist Podcast listeners. You're going to receive 20% off plus free shipping on their best-selling variety pack. This is a great way to try all of their delicious flavors. So go to drinkolipop.com slash Luke or use the code Luke at checkout to claim this deal. That's D-R-I-N-K-O-L-I-P-O-P, drinkolipop.com slash Luke. This discount is valid for their variety pack. So get your hands on some Olipop and enjoy the soda that you had to give up without wrecking your health. Welcome to episode 317 of the Lifestylist Podcast. I am your host, Luke Story, and today's episode is a community Q&A solo cast where we cover the following questions from our private Facebook group. Dealing with death and grief, insomnia due to detox, handling anger issues, what to do in a career crisis, solving lower back pain, treating bipolar without meds, and ozone therapy for mold. You can get all the show notes and links to this episode and every episode of the Lifestylist Podcast by going to lukestory.com slash newsletter. That's lukestory.com slash newsletter. Or if you're lucky or unlucky enough to have a US phone, you can simply text the word Lifestylist to the number 44222. So crack open your phone and shoot me a text. The number again is 44222. The body of your text is going to say Lifestylist. Then enter your name and email And magically, every single week when I release a new episode of the show, you will get all of the show notes, clickable links, and even a link to the complete transcripts. If you don't want to text, again, go to lukestory.com slash newsletter. Now, today's questions are called from, as I said, the Lifestylist Podcast Facebook group, where listeners and fans like you can join each other in community until we find a more neutral, less tyrannically communist platform at which to meet and mingle. But for now... You can join me and 6,000 other free thinkers just like you by simply searching The Lifestylist Podcast on Facebook and joining the group. Now, before we get into today's episode, I want to invite you to tune into our regular programming next Tuesday with a show called The Neuroscience of Stress, How to Meditate Like a Monk in Minutes with New Calm, featuring our second-time guest and my friend Jim Poole. So if you're someone who wants to learn how to uh, alleviate stress, in these trying times, uh, you definitely want to tune in on Tuesday. And to make sure you don't miss that episode or any episode to follow, here's what you do. Just go down to your podcast app, whatever you're listening to my voice on, and click subscribe to this show. That way, each and every episode of the Lifestylist podcast will be magically uploaded to your device. I get messages sometimes from people on social media thinking that one of my episodes has been deleted or censored, which has happened on YouTube on a couple occasions. I found a way around it. It's called BitChute. Uh, But oftentimes what happens is someone's just not subscribed and so their feed doesn't refresh right and so they're missing some of the episodes they want to listen to. So please subscribe to the show to ensure that that doesn't happen. 
All right, let's go ahead and pop off uh, some of these questions. But before I do, I'd like to issue the following disclaimer, just because it feels like the responsible thing to do. You should know that I'm only sharing my views based on my subjective experience and research. And you should always consult a health professional before making changes to your diet or lifestyle. This podcast is for information and hopefully entertainment purposes only and does not imply medical advice or diagnosis. The first question I'm going to get to is from Kimberly, and she asks, has anyone dealt with insomnia coming on during or after a detox? I'm struggling to fall asleep during the second part of my cycle. Any tips that I can try? Now, Kimberly, this could be any number of things. You know, the human biological organism is so fragile and so many things can tip the scale of our nervous system and uh, neurotransmitters, hormones, et cetera, to one side or the other. Our environment, EMF exposure, all of these things, what we're eating, you know, as you said, you're detoxing, uh, your cycle, all these things can throw off our sleep. So I'm going to go ahead and go for some of the low-hanging fruit here based on my experience because I'm always trying to optimize my sleep. In fact, it's probably the most important uh, regimen in my own personal journey with health. Without sleep, we ain't got nothing. You know, my grandmother, her name was May on my dad's side. She lived until she was 99, which is pretty good in this day and age. And she was, um, you know, pretty with it up until maybe the last couple of years there. So hopefully I inherited some of her genes, but she used to always harp on me about getting enough sleep. And of course, when I was younger, I thought, you know, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll, granny. Thanks. Anyway, uh, and now, you know, as I just turned 50, man, I can't tell you anything I value more in terms of just feeling the way I want to feel during the day as getting not only enough sleep, but really quality sleep. So here's a couple of things for Kimberly or anyone else listening that could be useful. You got to get really hardcore with the blue light. And what I'm talking about is any lighting in your house, on your devices, that is not amber, orange, or red. So the way I like to think about it is when it gets dark outside, sundown, that beautiful sunset we might get from some vantage points on earth, uh, the sun also goes down inside my house. And so I'm sitting here recording this episode at a lovely Airbnb in Sedona, Arizona, as uh, my fiance, Allison, and I travel the country and figuring out where we're going to live outside of the totalitarian regime known as California. And uh, they, at the time of this recording, the reason I say that, I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but they just instituted a 10 p.m. to I think 5 a.m. curfew. It's, it's out of control. Anyway, when I uh, got here to Arizona, I went on Amazon and I was so excited to find that I could, in fact, uh, ship incandescent uh, amber-colored light bulbs to this state. Now, when you live in California, again, <laughs> to support the point that I just mentioned, you're not allowed now to ship incandescent bulbs to an address within California on Amazon. They just, you know, it's not possible. There are certain rules like that. Probably has something to do with the environment. God knows we don't want to care about our health, but let's protect the planet, even though we might not be here to enjoy it. I don't know. It's a funny thing. Anyway, blue light. So what I did here is I installed, I mean, I'm kind of a nut, I admit, but this is how much I value sleep. I installed all of these incandescent amber bulbs. And by the way, those are like most things I talk about on the show, just because when I find something useful, I throw it on my website store. You can find it at lukestory.com slash store. It's just going to be an Amazon link to what I think are the most affordable and uh, high quality incandescent bulbs on there. And you know, um, disclaimer number two, I'm going to make a small commission for anything that I mention on the show that I link to in my store. 
that's what keeps this thing afloat, um, just to be transparent and authentic about that. Doesn't matter. Get your non-blue light lights wherever you want. I'm, I'm not going to miss the 50 cents on that, on that sale. But point is, in the Airbnb here, I went around to every light bulb that was changeable in the house. I ordered a few boxes of them and I changed all of them to incandescent bulbs. When I need to turn on a really bright light to see something, I've got my blue blocking glasses from either you know Raw Optics or Blue Blocks or one of the brands that I support. And a little hint here, uh, someone with the initials LS will soon be launching his own blue blocking eyewear brand. So stay tuned for that in 2021. And uh, you know, if I need to turn on a bright light or open the refrigerator or something like that, then I'll put on those those glasses. And this sounds like a pain in the ass, and it kind of is at first. I'll be honest, but nothing has done more to improve my sleep than really being hard nosed and super hardcore about blue light exposure at night. And again, when I say blue light, I'm talking about light that appears to the eye to be bright white. It's actually in the cool spectrum. Uh, of blue. And in nature, we have not evolved to see the sun at night. You know what I'm saying? So when you open that refrigerator or you walk in the bathroom, it's 11 p.m., 12 a.m., flip on a bright light or you're looking at your phone, laying in bed, that sends a signal to your brain that it's the middle of the daytime. And you know what that does? That causes you to immediately produce cortisol and stop producing melatonin. Now, I know a lot of you diehard listeners are well aware of these issues because I've done so many podcasts about a toxic non-native light. But in case Kimberly isn't hip to that, it's worth mentioning. Just non-negotiable, no blue light from the time the sun goes down until the time you close your eyes and attempt to go to sleep. Another big one with insomnia is sleeping in too late. And this one is really difficult for me because you know I have a, uh, I'm fortunate enough to have a job where I work for myself which by the way, sounds pretty cool if you're in a job that you don't like, but it also means that you you are your own boss. And if you don't whip yourself into shape, you don't make any money. So it's kind of a double-edged sword being the uh, content creating entrepreneur type like myself. Uh, and sometimes that means like I don't have to get up. It's just that I have a lot of deadlines. And if I want to live a stress-free life, I probably should wake up. But I do sleep in uh, sometimes till 8 or 9. And I'll tell you what, man, if I sleep in past like 8.30, 9.00, you know, if I just go nuts and sleep in until 10, I'm, I'm going to sleep like crap the next night. And so one of the ways you can break this cycle is by actually correcting your circadian rhythm. And how you do that, well, there's a number of ways, but I think the most powerful way to do that is by watching the sunrise every morning for a few days. And when I say watching the sunrise, I'm referring to a practice, an ancient practice. We don't even know how old it is, probably as old as us humans, you know, as long as we've been here. And that's called sun gazing. Now, I want to give my third disclaimer. When sun gazing, you must be careful. It's something you want to study. Don't just go stare at the sun uh, without taking some precautions and educating yourself on how to do so. So sun gazing is something that can be really powerful in terms of resetting your circadian rhythm, resetting your body clock. So just be careful doing it. Study up on it. There's ways that you can do it that are safe. You can work your way up depending on where you are on the planet and where the sun rises and falls on the horizon is going to really dictate how effectively you can sun gaze. But that said, just waking up super early in the morning for a few days, just forcing yourself to, even if you couldn't sleep, is going to help reset your body clock and make it so that you actually get tired when you want to at say 9, 10, 11 p.m., whatever your you know desired bedtime is. I know in the winter, it's much easier for me to get to sleep earlier. And if I get up early in the morning, it gets that much easier. Next thing is keeping your room pitch black. 
I mean, you want to put those little uh, true dark red stickers over any LEDs or any lights that are distracting you. You want to get blackout curtains. I mean, I'm talking, you do not want to see any light in your room. Even light that gets on your skin and hits the photoreceptors in your skin will interfere with melatonin production and your ability to fall asleep quickly and stay asleep. Temperature control. So keeping your room cool and also using something like an Uller or chili pad to keep your mattress cool under your body. Most mattresses really radiate heat. They trap heat from your body and you might be sleeping poorly because you're overheating and you have no idea. You just wake up and you know that you were restless during the night, but you have no idea why. Uh, In many cases, especially for men, I would say not so common for women, but for men, we overheat uh, very easily. So we're just wired that way. Um, You know, my lady and I, we each have our different sides of the Uller mat and she'll keep hers kind of warm and I keep mine freezing on, you know, 59 degrees or something like that. And I sleep like a baby like that. Uh, If anyone else slept on my side, they'd probably, you know, wake up in a coma because they'd be freezing to death, but I love it. So be mindful about temperature and just know that deep sleep loves cold temperatures. Don't do work after dark. This is a lesson uh, to myself. So many of the things I talk about on these solo shows are, I wish I had a mirror on my computer monitors. I record this going like, Luke, you're giving yourself this advice. Uh, Sometimes I get very activated at night. I get creative. I get productive. And I'll jump on the computer at you know 6 or 7 p.m. after meditating and I get a burst of energy and I might find myself working past 8 or 9 p.m. If I work past 9 p.m., it's pretty much guaranteed I'm going to be really restless all night and sleep like shit. So I would recommend not doing any work and building a real nighttime practice, you know, spending quality time with your family or loved ones, um, you know, doing some reading doing things that are really mellow, stretching, doing yoga, doing some light breath work, whatever it is that winds you down. Uh, I'd highly recommend that. Of course, mitigating EMF by turning off your Wi-Fi router if you still have one in your home. Of course, it's best to not have Wi-Fi in your house at all. But if you have to, for whatever reason, make sure that you turn that off once you go to bed. You can get something, uh, I think I have it on my site called the uh, Wi-Fi kill switch, or you can just get a Christmas light timer and set your Wi-Fi to go off every night. And also consider having your home inspected for EMF by a building biologist or EMF specialist. You know, you might, uh, Kimberly, be sleeping on the opposite side of a wall where there's a smart meter or something really whack like that. And you'll have no idea until you have someone come out and actually do a proper screening on your home to determine if EMF is interfering with your sleep. I remember once I took a trip to uh, a place called Pagosa Springs in Colorado, beautiful little town there in the southern part of the state, just a bit north of New Mexico, where they have some amazing hot springs, as the name would indicate. And I remember one night I was staying there with my dad and we rented some little kind of townhouse or something. And I could not sleep the whole week I was there and was waking up with hot flashes and my heart beating out of my chest. I mean, I I could not figure out what the hell was wrong with me. And then On the last day, I wandered out into the front yard and I saw that there was a bank of smart meters pointed right at the living room where I was sleeping on the little fold-out bed. And uh, that's when I learned the hard lesson of uh, smart meters. Now, not all smart meters, by the way, produce that hardcore radiation. Some of them, pulse radiation, um, intermediate, what's the word? Inter every once in a while. And some of them just pulse constantly. Some of them are really strong, some of them not. And you can't really tell unless you get someone to come out and scope out your house and hopefully you can get that removed and 
just pay an extra fee to the power company to have them come out and read it OG style. Next up, avoid eating anything within a couple hours of bedtime. Now, again, uh, preaching to myself here because I get the munchies sometimes at night. And something that's helped a lot with that is drinking electrolytes after dinner. Now, if I eat dinner at, say, 7, 8 o'clock, I'll be full for a while. Then if I'm not asleep by 9 or 10, which, of course, never happens, I'll get the munchies again and I start craving carbs or fruit or sugar or something like that. And I'll get up and have... uh, some electrolytes. And there's a brand that I like. I can't remember the name right now. I'm so sorry. It's made by Rob Wolf. It's funny because I take these things like five times a day, especially here in Arizona where it's so dry and uh, easy to get dehydrated. But whatever kind of electrolytes you can get into ya is going to help quell that appetite before bed. And the thing is, if you're using blood flow and energy to digest food while you're sleeping, Uh, it's going to rob from your sleep because your body thinks it's supposed to be awake and work on digesting that food. And that would especially be true of red meat. Man, if I eat red meat late at night, I am toast. I think it's just all of the hormones and all of the you know, nutritional density in red meat that just gets me crazy hyper at night. And likewise, during the day, by the way, if I find myself low on energy, if I eat some red meat, even just, you know, like, quarter pound of some ground, grass-fed, humanely raised um, beef and just throw that in a pan and eat that. It's, it's like an energy boost for me. And so I'm learning over time to not do an energy boost meal at night. Next tip would be get some hydrocortisone licorice root extract from Dr. Craig Conover's site. Now he's been on the show before. We'll link this in the show notes. Again, to remind you, if you want to get all of these links emailed to you every week, go to lukestory.com slash newsletter. Uh, Craig Conover's website has some of these things things available and you can contact him. And the hydrocortisone and licorice root is a great way to give your adrenals some rest so that you don't wear them out during the daytime. It also helps regulate your circadian rhythm. So if you were to do that with sun gazing at dusk and dawn, you'd probably be sorted out pretty quick. A couple other great uh, products for sleep are the product name uh, Dream by Sovereignty.co. And uh, they're one of my sponsors. You've probably heard me talk about them before. I also use this sleep formula by Quicksilver Scientific. It's got GABA, melatonin, some other things like that. Now, I kind of don't like to use melatonin or anything that the body produces itself all the time. I use it sporadically. So that's something to keep in mind. Uh, you know, when it comes to bioidentical hormones or glutathione or things that your body actually produces. I'm all for supplementing them some of the time, but not all of the time. It's just a common sense thing to me. I don't want to send a bio signal to my body saying, hey, guess what? We're taking melatonin every night, so you don't have to make it anymore. I want that uh, pineal gland to keep pumping out the derivatives of melatonin naturally. But that sleep formula by Quicksilver is bomb and it will knock your ass out. Next thing, of course, is using a full-spectrum CBD, like the one that I prefer from Onda Wellness. Uh, you can find all of that stuff, of course, at lukestory.com slash store or wherever you want to find it from. I don't want these episodes to feel like a giant commercial, but I also know people are going to hit me up like, where do you get that CBD? <laughs> so know that it's there. So that's, I think, all I have to share on sleep right now. Again, I just want to emphasize how important it is. And if you have clinical insomnia, I mean, it will wreck your life. And I don't care how many supplements you take or what kind of you know fitness regime you're into, how much you meditate, how much you work on yourself interpersonally, emotionally, spiritually. Uh, without sleep, based on my experience, 
you just cannot operate as your best self out in the world and your life will, uh, you know, definitely reflect that. So I'm all for doing anything and everything I can to improve sleep and I'm definitely a sleep advocate. So try some of those suggestions, uh, Kimberly or anyone else listening. Our next question is from Stacy. She says, embarrassing question, but does anyone have any successful ways of dealing with anger issues? I'm normally pretty mellow, but when I get into something heated, I feel like I have a hard time walking away and I keep it going. P.S. This only happens with boyfriends, never family or friends. <laughs> I get it, girl. I get it. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, it can happen with family too. I love the Ram Dass quote where he says, if you think you're enlightened, go spend a week with your parents, you know, but that can definitely be said of our romantic relationships. And uh, I know from experience that when you're opening yourself up and becoming vulnerable to love and intimacy, that those relationships can definitely trigger unhealed trauma and bring up negative patterns that cause one to access those lower emotional states. So it makes perfect sense to me that that's where she's experiencing this. So here are my recommendations based on uh, you know my own experience as having been someone who was extremely rageful, angry, and resentful for at least the first half of my life. So as I said, I'm 50 now. Uh, when I was 26, I started to really work on myself and it took me quite a few years to really overcome that reactivity. Now I still get a little bitchy and moody here and there like any normal person, but it's not very often where I'm thrown into that hypnotic, negative, emotional state of just being pissed off and angry and ruminating over all of the ways I'm going to kill the person that I'm pissed off at. And I'm not even kidding. Uh, not that you know I would ever follow through with it, but that's how my mind used to work. I used to be that toxic and that poisonous. I would just sit there and ruminate and self-talk and have conversations with myself about what I should have said to the person that I was pissed at or what I was going to say to them to make sure that I was right and so that they felt guilty and punished by my wrath. I mean, this is the kind of brain I used to have. So I've done a lot, a lot of work around anger. And, um, you know, I don't want to claim that I'm cured of it because I'm sure there is the potential within me. But a lot of that core wounding has been healed. And it's very rare that I get too pissed off. And the good news is that if I do, and I'm so grateful to God and to all of the work that I've done and all the grace that's been bestowed upon me, when I do get really pissed off, it's normally very short-lived and I'm able to pull out of it. And that is such a gift. And I'm so grateful for that. And part of that is through my own efforts and you know all the things that I'm going to talk about in a moment to offer as solutions. But I'm telling you, most of it is just being really willing to surrender um, those type of expressions and sensations and emotions in the body, in the mind to a power greater than myself and allowing them to be removed from my experience. And the more I'm willing to let them go, the more they are. In other words, like as much as I want to hang on to uh, righteous indignation, self-righteousness, being right, winning, being victorious, all of those um, temporarily fulfilling um, states, uh, that's, that's how long I'm going to keep them. In other words, like as soon as I'm willing to surrender it completely, poof, it's gone, but it's taken some work. So here are some of the things that I would recommend, most of which I've done a lot of. Doing trauma work, of course, to get to the root of your triggers. There's a lot of ways to deal with trauma and there's a lot of ways to bring it up and have realizations 
Uh, some of the practices and modalities that have been most effective for me have been doing deep breath work, not just you know doing a little Wim Hof set for two minutes, but doing holotropic breath work and all the different modalities that I've tried where you go in for 45 minutes, hour, sometimes 90 minutes, and just uproot all of those trapped emotions and memories and um, really getting down to the core of what caused that pain to begin with and what's causing me now to project that onto the people in my life, especially and unfortunately in many cases, the people that I love. So breath work, and that would also include kundalini yoga through many years of practice. And I'm a bit out of practice right now. I go through phases with things, but there was a good seven, eight years where I did kundalini yoga, you know, four or five days a week for 90 minutes a day. Uh, and a lot of that anger was brought up. There's even a Kriya called Fists of Anger. And there's a lot of uh, different sets and different mudras and mantra and things like that within, well, a lot of the yogic traditions, but in my experience, specifically through Kundalini Yoga, that release those trapped emotions of anger and the root cause of what might be causing someone to be uh, combative. And of course, must give a mention and a huge disclaimer for plant medicines. You know, plant medicines for me in the past couple of years have been extremely healing. And I've gotten to so many of my core wounds and healed so much trauma that I experienced as a kid and um, even at my own hand as, as an adolescent and a young adult. And, uh, you know, with that, and I've done a lot of shows about psychedelics and plant medicines, I'm sure I'll continue to do so. But I also, you know, feel the need to emphasize as I talk about those things that uh, those are not blanket recommendations. You know, you really have to exercise discernment and prudence uh, and have a good guide and set and setting and all those things. So when I mention, just know, if you ever hear me talk about plant medicines or psychedelics, there's just a baked in disclaimer that you really want to be mindful because these are powerful, powerful molecules and they can change you forever. And in some cases, there's no turning back. And so my experience has been largely positive uh, and I've healed so much, but uh, that doesn't mean that that's going to be the case for everyone. So make sure to do your due diligence and choose wisely if you take that path. But I can't be inauthentic and say that plant medicines haven't been a huge part of my own healing. And especially when it comes to the root causes of anger, which is really what we're about. You know, it's not about behavior modification and suppressing the anger. And I think I'll get to that in a moment. I have some other bullet points in my notes here. Sometimes the anger just needs to be expressed, right? So it's not about not being angry. It's about really doing some self-inquiry and getting to the root of why I'm having these eruptions. Another non-plant medicine way to get there would be EMDR and also hypnosis. You know, I've done a bit of both of those. Now, personally, I didn't find either of those modalities to be uh, you know, groundbreaking and revelatory, but I definitely think they have their place. And I believe that I benefited from those uh, treatments when I did them. And I recommend them to people all the time, especially people that aren't in a position to experiment with something like, um, you know, a clinical uh, psychiatric dose of ketamine or uh, psilocybin journey or going to somewhere to do an ayahuasca retreat. These types of things, um, you know, are not for everyone. So some of us can use like breath work, kundalini yoga, hypnosis, therapy, all of that to really get in there and heal the root causes. And speaking of root causes, I would highly recommend to anyone that really struggles with family of origin issues to checking yourself into an emotional rehab. I mean, they're not called that, but that's kind of how I think of them. So I did a, a couple stints at a place in Nashville called Onsite. Did a lot of family of origin work, a lot of 
um, you know, just emotional based therapy. They do all kinds of crazy stuff there, like role playing where you act out your parents. And I mean, I can't even remember all the stuff, but just, just, you know, experiential therapy, I guess you could say, where you're really getting in and screaming and punching pillows and just, ah, you know, vomiting out all of those suppressed and repressed emotions. And there's a lot more to it than that. Just learning about the family dynamics and the things that warp us uh, in our early years. So on-site was really powerful. They also have a couples program that was fantastic. And I also participated in. And another recommendation would be the Hoffman Process in Napa, California. I did a podcast on that. We'll put it in the show notes. Uh, the Hoffman Process, very similar, kind of a combination of a therapy and spirituality in a group setting. You go there, you're sequestered away for a week. So my you know, on-site experience and Hoffman Process experience were definitely... Uh, transformative and helped to alleviate a lot of those anger issues, as did doing a lot of fourth step inventory and 10 step inventory writing. Uh, Those are principles that come from the 12 step movement. And they are an amazing way to discover really your part and how your instincts play a role in not only uh, how you feel, but how you react to your feelings. So really, you know, this could be said of journaling or any other deep self-inquiry type writing exercises that really get to see the root of the problem. So in this case here from Stacy, you know, maybe Stacy is pissed off at her partner because he or she said X, Y, and Z and will react as such, without having the ability to look inside and see, oh, okay, well, perhaps they said or did that thing that caused me to be angry, even though really no one causes us to be angry, we decide to be angry ourselves. Uh, But with some inquiry, one might find that I set myself up for that conflict because I was, um, you know, being condescending or sarcastic or brought up something uh, you know, that was sensitive to discuss or a problem to be worked through with my partner at a time that was not convenient for them or it wasn't appropriate in terms of the energetics between us. You know, Whatever the case may be, there's a million examples of how that might play out. But I know that for me, really digging in and doing writing about anger issues and my resentments has been extremely powerful, especially from the standpoint of discovering my own responsibility in those matters and what I did to actually create them. Taking responsibility is a huge way, very powerful way to alleviate uh, resentment. And, you know, as long as we're mindful to not then to transfer that resentment onto ourself in the form of guilt or shame, but it's much easier to forgive someone when you realize that you played a part in that conflict or you set yourself up because you were acting selfishly or acting out of ego or whatever the case may be, or acting out one of your patterns. And that put you in the position for someone else to seemingly wrong you. And then you got pissed off. But if you really trace it back, you know it's quite common that many of us have done something to help facilitate that uh, trouble. So that's something that's really powerful. It's just any kind of inventory and you know, in my lexicon, you know, I would call it doing a 10th step or doing a four step or journaling, just getting down to doing the writing. And also another great principle to alleviate conflict is when you are agitated to just remove yourself from the situation until your limbic system calms down, because that's really what this is. If you want to get down to the neuroscience of it, it's that there's a situation 
in our subconscious. I think it's stored in the hippocampus. Don't quote me on this because I'm no neuroscientist, but I have looked into the brain quite a bit and interviewed many experts uh, who are. And we store these memories, right, from childhood, wounds that we have, traumas that we experienced. And then something happens in our adult life, which is very similar to that situation. And it triggers our brain, our limbic system, start producing those stress hormones, cortisol and adrenaline, and we become adrenalized and we can't get out of it. We're stuck in that. We're stuck in that fight or flight. And that's such an uncomfortable place to be. And from that point, the prefrontal cortex is completely immobilized and incapable of having a logical conversation and arriving at forgiveness and empathy and compassion. We're just stuck. We've drifted into (laughs) that reptilian brain and there's no way to get yourself out of it. So I know for me, when I sense that you know incredible Hulk that's rising up within me and wants to fucking break the furniture over someone's head, which, you know, as I said, every once in a while still happens. Luckily, I know, ooh, now is the time to just shut your mouth, Luke, walk away, take a breath, tell whoever it is that I'm about to have conflict with, hey, listen, I just need to go, you know, cool my jets for a moment, be right with you. So just, you know, having that, stop gap button on our reactivity is hugely useful because we can step aside, calm down, go for a walk, take some deep breaths, settle down, and then only approach that person and begin communicating when we know that we're calm again. Another amazing body of work is uh, incidentally called The Work by Byron Katie, a former guest on this very podcast, one of my most prized guests of all time, one of my favorite spiritual teachers, someone I've had the opportunity to sit in workshops with quite a bit. That would be another recommendation uh, in addition to something like Onsite or uh, the Hoffman process. Man, you know, I mean, right now, travel's weird, COVID stuff, strange, bizarre. People are canceling their live events, but one of my goals, it's been on my vision board for years, is to go to Byron Katie's Nine Days for the Work, I think it's called, and it's her, you know, where she teaches people how to be practitioners of her work. And the work is really just a way to help dispel the stories that your mind tells you about what's happening in your present reality. It's a radical shift in your perspective and extremely direct and um, hard-hitting self-honesty. So it's like, a 10-step or a four-step that I described earlier on steroids. I mean, it's really, really looking at things from all sides and learning how to observe objectively and not listen to the stories in your mind. So the work of Byron Katie, I think, is a really powerful way to overcome anger, again, um, by a lot of the same mechanisms of accepting responsibility for your part in how you perceive any given situation. So after all, life is 10% of what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. And that really is true. You know, We create our reality through our perception. So we have to find ways if we want to change and evolve, that is, and be free of things like anger that are so uncomfortable and harmful to us on every level, but also uh, that have the tendency to undermine our most cherished relationships. We really have to dig in there and learn how to change our reactions and our perceptions and heal anything that we have in terms of underlying causes that are going to instigate us to react inappropriately and in ways that are harmful to ourselves and our loved ones. Uh, Next would be doing deep intimacy work around relationships and discover why you're acting out those patterns from the past. So getting into the work of uh, John Wineland, really studying codependency, uh, Melody Beattie and Pia Melody. I know they're 
their names sound very similar. I always get them confused. Both of those ladies are brilliant when it comes to codependency, love addiction, love avoidance, all things relationship. They have numerous books. Um, I tried to get them on my podcast. They're a bit older and have retired, but uh, I'm really into those topics. And of course, I've had John Wineland on before and he deals a lot with the masculine and feminine energy, but there are people out there that have experience in teaching us how to relate with others in a healthy manner. And when it comes to anger, uh, they definitely cover the gamut of that emotion. Another firm recommendation would be to listen to all three of my John Gray interviews. He's the author of Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. And like John Wineland's work, uh, not so dependent on whether or not you're in a same-sex or opposite-sex relationship, really about masculine and feminine energy. Now, John Wineland, especially more so that way, John Gray really deals with hormones. So it's about understanding the male and female endocrine system and how that drives our personalities and, of course, our relations with others. But John Gray's work has been extremely influential on me. I've had the opportunity to not only interview him, but spent some time one-on-one with him and even did one of his workshops last year. And I mean, you know, I don't think I would be engaged and have such a wonderful woman in my life if it wasn't for the work of John Gray. And I'm, I'm not at all exaggerating that. I mean, I really learned so much about communication and uh, just all things understanding the female species from John Gray. And oddly enough, I learned that from a man more so than a woman, but he's someone who's just done so much work over something like four decades in teaching people how to relate in a loving way and how to improve their intimacy. And of course, that includes learning how to deal with conflict in a healthy, productive way and not undermine our relationships out of our own unhealed shit. So check out the John Gray episodes. Those will all be linked in the show notes. Another recommendation would be going to Al-Anon to learn how to take responsibility for your emotions and your part in relationships. You know, Al-Anon is uh, an amazing program. It's one of the 12-step anonymous programs. And it's really about learning how to get along with other humans in a healthy way. And the program was founded, I believe, back in the 30s due to the fact that uh, the early men in Alcoholics Anonymous were getting sober And they had done so much emotional harm to their uh, female partners that the female partners formed their own 12-step group in order to learn how to recover themselves from the emotional damage that had been done to them at the hands of uh, their alcoholic husbands and also to deal with their own addictive tendencies in trying to fix and rescue in a codependent fashion uh, their alcoholic husbands. So that was kind of the origins of Al-Anon, but it's really evolved into an amazing program that just teaches us how to really create boundaries and have a healthy relationship with ourselves. It's about self-love and building a relationship with God and living by spiritual principles. And as a result of that work, Al-Anon can help some people learn how to navigate relationships in a healthier manner and of course, overcome and mitigate anger issues. I would also definitely recommend doing Joe Dispenza meditations one to two times per day to learn how to access your higher self. And as he says, break the habit of being you. Joe Dispenza has been on the show, of course, before and uh, just does such great work. I mean, I have all of his books. I've listened to them on audio over and over and over again, uh, as I have many of my favorite teachers like David Hawkins and Ram Dass. I mean, I have my go-to teachers and I just can't get enough of their content. And Joe Dispenza has really cracked the code on a lot of the ancient 
modalities of yoga, breathing, uh, meditation, et cetera, and kind of created a mainstream approach to it, which in many cases to me would mean that it's watered down. But Joe's work is extremely powerful and I've witnessed it firsthand at his events and, uh, and also just doing his meditations. I wouldn't say right now I do them every day. I actually did one this morning, the 20-minute morning meditation. But I go through phases of it. I'll be obsessed with Joe Dispenza meditations and then I take a break for a couple of weeks and get back on it. But if you want to learn how to uh, manage your emotions, I would say that his work is one of the most powerful ways because he teaches you how to rewire your brain. And that's where that anger is coming from. And of course, a lot of it's stored in the body, but it activates due to uh, signals to and from the brain. And that's what you're going to fix with Joe Dispenza's work. I would also recommend along the same lines doing a live or online DNRS program. That's Dynamic Neural Reprogramming System by Annie Hopper. Been trying to get her on the show for a while. We're, we're trading emails and hopefully it'll happen one of these days. But DNRS can retrain and program and heal your limbic brain and definitely reduce your reactivity and anger. Similar to Joe Dispenza's work, we're going after the subconscious. So DNRS. I bought the program. The online program is 300 bucks. It's still sitting in my inbox. I have not logged in. I'm a jerk. I'm going to do it someday. Uh, but my dad's been doing her work for a couple of years and it's been extremely powerful for him. And he's someone that used to suffer a lot from anger. Uh, back in his earlier days. And then I would say, uh, lastly, to our pissed off friend here, each time you find yourself at war, whether within your own mind or or with someone uh, in your life, to repeat the mantra, would I rather win or be happy? In other words, do I want to choose victory or do I want to choose peace? And that's a principle that I'm sure it comes from many spiritual teachings, but I know it from A Course in Miracles. And just that one sentence, however they phrase it, I'm I'm probably paraphrasing it, but the essence of that principle, you know, is really in that moment making that decision. All right, it's it's just feeding me, man, to win. I got to win this argument. I have to prove them wrong. I want them to know that I'm right and I am the victor. It's like in any given moment, you can just go, you know what? Maybe you're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, I love you. Please forgive me. Thank you. Whatever that that prayer is, I think it's a indigenous Hawaiian prayer, um, but something to that effect, right? Now I want to think of what it is. What is that one? I'm sorry. I love you. Please forgive me. Thank you. I think that's what it is. I mean, really, any you know disagreement you get into with someone can really be solved by just being willing to allow them to win. And when things have cooled down, yeah, maybe you go back and have a conversation and. Uh, assert yourself in a healthy way and create boundaries or whatever it is that needs to happen. But when you find yourself in that fight or flight limbic system, adrenalized state, it seems like it's going to feel the best if you win, if you walk away the victor. But you're really not the victor if you're suffering from anger and hurting someone you care about, right? So do I want to win or do I want to be happy? Ask yourself that. We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. Yo, I am super pumped to share with you beekeepersnaturals.com. Now, if you heard episode 175 with founder and CEO Carly Stein, you know exactly what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about are the highest quality bee products in the world from Beekeepers Naturals. Now, I've been using bee products for a long time. Back in the 90s, I was rocking like the bee pollen and And, you know, using kind of gourmet honey over the years and things like that. But until that interview, honestly, I had no idea 
of the superpowers and the variety of different bee products. So not only do these guys make the cleanest, most organic, most potent bee products, they also have the widest variety of products. So whether it's propolis, which helps you with the immune system, um, soothing scratchy throats, it's really potent stuff, or the bee pollen, which is a superfood with vitamins and nutrients and gives you energy. It has amino acids and protein, whether it's the raw honey, the royal jelly. Uh, they even have a tonic for your brain. I mean, they have a lot of great products over there. So if you're not hip to the power of bee products as a superfood, I want to highly recommend that you get over to beekeepersnaturals.com. And honestly, if you want to just learn all about bees in the industry and how it's done and how it's done right for ecology and for the environment, definitely go back and listen to episode 175. It's a, it's a great episode and the founder, Carly, is just brilliant and she's running a really great operation over there. So I'm very happy to support them on the show. And uh, like all the stuff I always talk about, I use them every day. In fact, I use it too much because I run out of it. Like when I interviewed her, I was like, so I do like a couple tablespoons of the bee powered, which is the really potent one that combines all of the superfoods in the hive into one product. She's like, dude, the dose for that is half a teaspoon once a day. You're tripping. But, you know, I'm hardcore because uh, it just tastes delicious and it gives you like instant energy. So definitely get over to beekeepersnaturals.com. When you're there, if you enter the code lifestylist, that's one word, lifestylist, you'll save 15% off your order. So go to beekeepersnaturals.com, enter the code lifestylist. And now back to the interview. The next Facebook group question comes from Joanna. She says, to anyone who has lost someone close, what have you done to help process grief? Any therapies, books, meditations? She also adds, this is the only group in which I ask questions on Facebook as I feel the members of this group are my people. Well, I'll tell you what, Joanna, you're my people too. And thank you so much for your contribution. And by the way, everyone that is in that Facebook group, uh, thank you for going a bit deeper recently. You know, I've made some comments on previous shows that I... I get a little bit bored in the group when all of the questions are about, you know, hey, I have a word on my toe. What what herb should I put on it? And, you know, we talk about health on this show, so it's all good, no shame. But I just like doing the deeper work. So when we're talking about death and grief, Joanna, you got my number. It's something I relate to deeply and uh, admittedly don't have a lot of experience with, but I'm going to give you uh, all of, of what I've got because I had a recent experience um, dealing with this myself. Okay, so... You know, I've had a lot of trauma and loss in my life, like many people have, and uh, many micro deaths. You know, they say um, death by a thousand cuts. That's been my experience, especially earlier in life. But in terms of losing people that are close to me to death, uh, that's not something that has been in my experience too much yet, although I'm getting older and it's to be expected as the years wear on. I think the number one principle here is that one must feel whatever there is to be felt, that the only way past it is through it. You know, the bypassing of emotional pain and discomfort only causes it to perpetuate, to fester, to grow, even if we're able to avoid it for a little while through distractions or addictions or self-medicating or however we might do it, it has to be dealt with. And so I think for me, you know, in light of a recent loss that I had uh, to cancer, taking some time each day to pause, you know, in the beginning throes of it, at least to pause and be compassionate with myself, you know, to just allow myself to feel whatever came up. You know, my good friend, David Solomini, who I'm probably have talked about on the show and definitely 
have posted a lot with on social media over the years. You know, he came down with this uh, really bizarre case of cancer and went through a number of different horrific surgeries and hung in there and got better. And then it came back. It was, you know, just a a pretty intense human melodrama. And, uh, you know, I was doing everything I could, of course, with all of my biohacking tools to help him through that. And it's difficult in that situation when someone's kind of got one foot in the medical system, which can be great. And there's so much value there in some cases. And then also one foot in the natural healing world. And so he was kind of doing both and it was difficult, but I gave him all I could. And eventually a couple months ago, he died and, uh, you know, or left his body, I guess could be a better way to state it. Um, In my system of uh, belief and understanding if people are essentially made of energy as a soul, right? It's not that you have a soul, you are a soul, you, you can't die. But he left his body. You know, you can't kill energy. It just transmutes and becomes something else, right? So during those first, uh, you know, a couple of weeks, even first month and at his, you know, memorial out on the beach where we tossed his ashes into the ocean and all that, there would be times where just during the day, I'd be working on the computer, clicking away on the keyboard. And all of a sudden I would just have a thought, you know, I thought back to one time it really got me where he came over and he was so sick and frail. And, you know, I held his hand and just walked him through my yard and put him in the hyperbaric oxygen chamber and gave him a treatment. And there was just something so, oh, so sweet about just (laughs) being a dude holding another dude's hand. And, um, You know, as Ram Das says, we're, we're all just walking each other home, you know? And, um, and I remember walking him up that, up those steps in the backyard to the, to the Zen Den where all my healing tools are, many of them, and just thinking, man, this guy might not make it. And then having the realization, of course, yeah, son, you're not going to make it either, Luke. <laughs> you know, there's going to be a time when someone's walking your frail hand, hopefully, you know, if you're so lucky to live <laughs> long enough for that to happen, someone's going to be holding your frail hand and, walking you uh, to one of your, your last walks in life. And, um, you know, so there'd be moments just like now that emotion came up and I would just think of moments like that and I just start bawling. And I, and I knew because of all of the things that I'm going to be talking about here in this section and, you know, all the experiences I've had in my life that grief needs to be felt. And um, to that end, there is also... Uh, something to look out for. And that's kind of when you're, when you're milking grief, you know, and really overemphasizing it. I don't know. It's, it's hard for me to articulate. It's like, ah, uh, it's like feeling your feelings is a slippery slope because if you really want to get into it and allow it to express itself and get those emotions out of your body and to really face uh, painful thoughts or thinking about a memory that about someone that's passed and you love them, uh, you know, there's, there's the healthy side of it, which is really feeling into those emotions and allowing whatever it is that wants to come to the surface to be purged. But then there is the emotionalism, kind of the addiction or the attachment to that experience and the uh, propensity for mm, self-pity, right? Feeling sorry for yourself. Woe is me. Uh, Why do people that I know have to die? Why do people have to die? Oh, why do I have to be a person? It's so hard because it is fucking hard. You know, if incarnating was easy, everyone would do it, you know? Um, so for me, I, I think I just have developed to some degree of success, the ability to know when the feelings are real and legitimate and they need to be walked through. And when I'm starting to kind of milk something to get stuck in that morass of uh, self-pity or 
just giving too much energy to the grief. And I think that is also uh, more likely when one hasn't really developed a spiritual framework of understanding in terms of how the universe and the human experience works. It's, you know, the work of David Hawkins and Ram Dass and every high-level spiritual teacher in history. I think I'm mentioning Ram Dass a lot today because uh, he's done so much work around death and dying, you know. So I would just recommend that as a starting point too. Just anything you can study on Ram Dass books, podcast, uh, recordings of his live talks. You know, he's someone that spent a lot of time with people in hospice and was with people at that twilight moment when they're in that transition from this form to uh, the non-physical form. But I think for me, having the understanding that when my friend David dies, that he's not dead and it sounds like an empty platitude or kind of whistling in the dark, like, no, he's still here. I feel his spirit, I swear, to help yourself feel better. But I just, I mean, I have to just state it plainly that I just know this to be the truth, that you don't die the life force that was you embodying that physical entity uh, has moved on to somewhere and something else, kind of an interdimensional type thing. And so I think in having the discernment of what the healthy emotional response is and how to deal with grief has a lot to do with the spiritual understanding and framework we have of the human experience, the universe, God, the nature of karma and all of these things. And so to find that deep and radical acceptance of someone passing becomes much easier when we understand the bigger picture. You know, I know that my friend David that just passed is is here with me right now. You know, I'm sitting alone in an Airbnb in Sedona, Arizona. Allison's in the other room doing a Zoom call, working on her book. There's no one here, but trust me, there's someone here. And my friend David, who's not even David, he's just a spirit that has no name. He was in a body called David. He's here with me, you know, and I find that to be so comforting. And I just know that to be the truth. And I don't need him to come in the room and knock over a lamp or something in order for me to know that. It's just, um, it's just the way things are. I don't know how else to say it. I'm just, you know, to say it as directly as possible. So when it comes to feeling the grief and feeling the feelings, even some of them that I'm feeling right now, it's like, I welcome it. I just, okay, whatever we got to work through here, let's work through it. And, and in times, uh, for me, even working through grief, whether it's losing someone or just the loss of an attachment, you know, which is really what losing someone in their human form is, it's, it's a deep attachment. I can be attached to a job, to uh, you know, a bank balance. I can be attached to a car. I can be attached to any material inanimate object, or I can be just attached to a position or a way that I view myself or any type of relationship, uh, romantic, familial, etc. Any loss is an opportunity to surrender attachment. And the more we do that, even with the smaller things that we have micro attachments to, the easier it becomes, I think, to surrender our attachments to those things that we really hold dear and to those people with whom we have you know, longstanding memories and experiences and a closeness. I mean, God, I can't imagine the day when my parents pass or anyone in my immediate family, my brothers, you know, my, my fiance. I mean, it's just, it's hard to even fathom that. And I don't want to fathom that, but I know ultimately that either I'm going to go or they're going to go. And that's just the way it works, you know? So I think just facing with reality, the fact that this is how God created the universe and the human experience and it's done so with purpose and there's an intention and a wisdom and a love behind it. And there are no accidents in God's world and in God's creation. And so 
on the karmic wheel, the cycle of life and death, uh, this is just part of the game. And it's part of our growth and our maturity as a soul, as a spirit, to learn how to approach and deal with loss and grief and birth and death, death with some uh, equanimity. So that's, that's my take on it. And I think in a positive sense, the more I can really reflect on my own mortality, the less seriously I take myself and my life and my problems. You know, I know at any given moment I could leave this body. And I know that at some point I'm going to have to. That's how this game is set up. And so cherishing each moment, you know, looking at my dog and just petting my dog going, wow, this dog's going to be gone. I'm going to be gone. This microphone's going to be gone. The Lifestylist podcast will be gone. You listening to this will be gone in the physical sense, in the material sense. Uh, the love that I share with, with my partner will someday be gone in the physical sense, in the sense that I experience it now in its current form. And so facing death, I think, is one of the most healthy things we can do. And I think as a, a culture in Western culture, the way we view death is pathologically disempowering and um, not at all in harmony with nature. And there are many other cultures that view death differently. And it's something that we don't want to face. We don't want to look at. You know, we don't celebrate someone passing on to another dimension as many other cultures do. You know, of course, there's sadness, there's loss of attachment, but we hide death in the nursing home. You know, we hide death in hospice. We don't want to face it. We don't want to face the fact that all of this is temporary. And so facing my own mortality has been a really healthy practice for me and something I do more and more all the time as I get older. Just going, man, savor the moment, Luke. We don't know how long you're going to be here, buddy. <laughs> so I hope that helps. And, um, you know, I think in closing on that, I turned into kind of a much deeper answer for me. And, and thank you again for posting such meaningful questions here and also being so vulnerable and willing to put yourself out there. But I think in addition to reflecting on my mortality is just building a healthy, trusting relationship with God. You know, whatever you want to call God, however you label it, whatever your belief system, your religion, your lack of religion. If you're an atheist, then you believe in something you believe in not believing in anything. So believe and trust in that. That there's no that there's no meaning to any of this, right? You can still hang on to that and trust in that. I mean, that's, I'm kind of joking, not really though. But I think for me, it's just having that relationship with God and also being around a few years now where I can look back at situations in which I didn't get what I wanted, things didn't go my way, I was attached to an outcome, it went in another direction, I didn't get what I wanted. And some time passed and I saw, aha, now I see, you know, in hindsight, thank God things worked out the way they did. And so I can see that there is a divine order in this universe and there is a way in which things work out. And it's not always possible from my current vantage point or perspective to see the deeper meaning or the reasons why things come to pass, including people. So building that trust and that relationship with God, I think, is what gives me strength to get through anything. And I've been through some shit, like I'm sure you have, anyone listening, man. We've all been through our own suffering, our own trauma, our own loss, some more than others, but we all feel it the same. Every man's burden is the heaviest, as Bob Marley says, you know? So 
having a rock to lean on in the form of that knowingness that there is a power that is uh, pervasive and omniscient in this universe and beyond that can help us find stability and strength when we can't find it within ourselves. That's the key. And if I can hang on to that, I can probably handle just about anything that comes at me in this lifetime and beyond. I feel like that's kind of a mic drop. Like, like boom, that felt good. It felt so... I mean, I'm just being honest. It felt from the heart. It's just where I feel right now. And I think it's so important. But alas, there's more questions. So I'm going to keep going here. We're at about an hour. I try to keep these things an hour. It never works. They're always 90 minutes. So here we go. We've got another question. This one from Jasmine. Uh, this is a good one. And thank you for posting this again. This is kind of a lifestyle question more so than, you know, hey, how do I cure colitis or whatever? Uh, and keep those coming too. If I have any advice there, I just, I find the metaphysical um, a bit more interesting and, and fun to answer on these solo shows than I do the physical. At any rate, Jasmine says, I need advice on how you guys without a regular quote end quotes job earn money. I haven't had an income in several months and it's getting scary. I live in a place where there's not much work. It's not close to a city. Well, good for you. You're not close to a city, low EMF and all that. I have a kid, uh, one five-year-old, and I've been thinking about starting an Etsy page. My friend has also recommended me to join her with doTERRA. That's cool. I like doTERRA. Sometimes, uh, it's funny, I didn't put that in the answer, but I've always been a little weird about kind of, uh, multi-level marketing companies and whatnot. But uh, I think of the ones that I've joined, and I've joined a bunch of them, doTERRA is probably one of the more integrous, as far as I can tell, although I didn't really pursue that avenue myself. I think there is some value in that type of marketing and it enables uh, some people to work for themselves, which is great. So, you know, a company is going to spend money on marketing one way or another, right? So they're either going to pay people in their sort of pyramid um, system of um, commissions and enrollments and things like that, or they're going to pay outside companies to do marketing and advertisement. So it's an interesting model, one that I've not ever really been too into, but it's something to consider. So I'll throw that in there. And also, she says, I'm in serious need of help and money. What are your suggestions uh, on what to do? And great question. So I'm going to give just, I'm going to rattle off a bunch of possibilities here. Uh, some of them just practical and some of them more based on mindset there towards the end. So I would recommend looking into working as a remote VA, a virtual assistant. My VA is freaking awesome. Her name's Rachel. Love her so much. If you ever hear this episode, Rachel, couldn't do without you. Props to you. She came from an amazing company called Belay.com. That's B-E-L-A.com. And some of these VA companies also have training programs where they'll train you to become a virtual assistant and then find you work. Now, you know, not everyone's cut out for that kind of work. It's detail-oriented work. And you're obviously working in a subordinate position to someone else above you who's going to tell you what to do all day. But if you work for someone cool like me who's super chill, sometimes I am, sometimes I'm not. Uh, it could be fun, you know, if you have those kind of skills. You could join Upwork.com if you have any special skills uh, like graphic design, audio, video, editing, copywriting, research, data entry, bookkeeping, anything you can do remotely, I'd be looking in that direction. You know, again, if you live in a city that's been hammered by COVID or there's just a low population density, there's not a lot of work there, high unemployment, et cetera, you definitely want to see uh, if you have any skills that can be applied remotely using your computer. And if you have any skills that can be applied in person, I don't know if they'd have this in a smaller town or city, but there's an app I use called uh, TaskRabbit. And if your city has that app, it's pretty cool. So if you're good at organizing, running errands, putting IKEA furniture together, yard work, hauling, 
any kind of manual labor per se, even though some of it's not so laborious, uh, there are services like TaskRabbit that you can sign up for. It's kind of like Uber, right? It's kind of like driving Uber and hey, maybe do that if you're in a pinch for a while, whatever you can do to bring some coin in. Again, in a smaller town, they might not have Uber, uh, but TaskRabbit and services like that where you're an on-demand worker, I think are cool. I think the Etsy store that was mentioned is a great idea using your creativity. Uh, Etsy store, running an eBay store, you know, finding vintage clothes or vintage trinkets or art and selling them um, somewhere else, you know, and making a little profit on them. Things like that are cool. On online businesses, I would study the online marketing masters like uh, Amy Porterfield, Joe Polish, Russell Brunson, Gary Vaynerchuk, Brendan Burchard, Pat Flynn, all those folks. They have free podcasts and, of course, YouTube videos. They all have online programs to teach you how to become an online coach or online online entrepreneur, business person. I think now is a great time to get into that type of work. If you have a niche interest or expertise, you could create content like your old pal Luke here does, build an audience and monetize that via brand affiliate relationships and sponsors using the marketing tools of the aforementioned experts. You could produce a podcast, a blog post, YouTube channel, social media channel that allows you to get paid for content. And the key there is just obviously having compelling content that people will find sticky and interesting and being very consistent as you build your audience. And when you build your audience, uh, they're going to want to buy things that you recommend to them. So uh, that's one way to do it. You can also research uh, online programs for starting your own home business. I'm all about online learning. You know, I own another business that I never talk about because it doesn't apply to the topics here on the lifestyle list, but it's uh, called School of Style and it's a fashion school that teaches people how to be a fashion stylist or personal stylist. So it's something I did for 17 years. And in 2008, I started this school called schoolofstyle.com. It's still alive and well. It's now an online business. And I took online programs to learn how to turn my in-person school uh, into an online school. And I studied and studied and had the help of my ex-partner who was really good at that kind of stuff too. And we made that transition. And uh, now that business is there and um, for the most part kind of runs itself. So I'm really into online businesses. I guess Luke Story Inc. is an online business, although I still am happy to show up and, uh, you know, do public talks and workshops and things like that. So it's not completely online, but content creation is a great way to earn a living. I'm having a great time doing it. Sitting here talking to you guys right now, looking at a computer screen, having my eyes get sore and my head start to get scrambled after an hour and eight minutes, but still I'm digging it. I love it. And as I've been here in Sedona, what's been really fun about it as well is that uh, I've run into so many people just at the health food store, of course, and the local juice spot that are like, oh my God, you Luke Story, listen to your podcast. And then they know me, especially some of them that have listened for five years. They know everything about me. It's kind of embarrassing. Uh, And then all I have to do to catch up and become their friend is just get to know them. But um, producing content is a really cool way to reach people and have a positive impact on the world. And also in a strange way, get to know people. You know, you can travel and when you go there, you kind of have a built-in family or tribe. Uh, Next, what's up? Okay, get out a whiteboard and brain dump every possible skill you possess and put them on paper. So anything you think you might be interested in, or good at, or even just something you want to pursue, write it down. Then make a list of people you know personally who have monetized any of those skills that you think you might have or those um, interests that you want to pursue and ask them for mentorship or support. 
Now, of course, without knowing your skill set and passion, it's tough to give you a blanket fix, but this could be a great place to start. You know, just start to get creative and just throw some ideas out there and think if something just comes to mind. You know, you might start writing, you're like, what do I like? You're like, oh, I like horses. Shit, maybe I could train to be a horse trainer or whatever. I mean, that just popped up. And that's, I've done things like that a bunch of times when I feel stuck in my career. It's like, what do I even like? It's a great place to start. Not like, how can I make money? But what do I enjoy doing? What am I passionate about? And then are there any other people out there that are making money doing the thing I'm passionate about and seek them out and learn from them? Next, delve deeply into any teachings that explore limiting beliefs and subconscious patterns of unworthiness and lack. Oh man, this is huge. I mean, I could have just answered this whole question with this piece. Uh, Our former two-time guest, Lacey Phillips of To Be Magnetic, is a great person to look to in terms of manifestation and really rooting out self-worth issues. Uh, Oftentimes, our limitations are self-imposed by these hidden blocks that keep us struggling financially. Uh, We get addicted to being broke and addicted to being unemployed and addicted to the idea that there's no work out there and no one wants to hire me, that I'm you know, too lazy or stupid or ugly to have a meaningful career about which I'm passionate. And these are lies that we tell ourselves, imposter syndrome, all this kind of stuff. And I'm telling you, man, I mean, I know this because I've had to work through this in so many ways. Uh, When I was a stylist for those years, as I mentioned, oh my God, I had the worst imposter syndrome because it took me a really long time to get good at it. And it was just something I fell into. I never set out to do it. And I started making a living at it. And then realized, wow, there's really an art to this and I have a lot to learn. And it was brutal. And starting a podcast. I mean, I thought, who's going to listen to my podcast? What if I suck at this? I mean, all those things we go through all come from those self-worth issues. And um, you know, if we have a scarcity mindset and we don't have a relationship with God, if we don't believe that it's possible for us to be abundant, to be successful, and I'm not accusing the person that asked this question of those things, but I think most people... Unless you were karmically gifted with super conscious parents who just completely boosted you up in the healthiest of ways and told you how brilliant and beautiful and talented you were every day and give you opportunities to cultivate your skill set and interest, you're probably going to run up against this at some point. You know, um, there's another book called Oh God, you should you get this book. I hate to should people, but you ask the question, so I'm going to answer them. It's called The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. Oh my God, amazing books. I I would actually really like to read or listen to this one again. In this book, he talks about a concept called, uh, I think it's called the upper limit. And it's like when we achieve a certain level of comfort, uh, complacency, or even success, that there's this glass ceiling that we place on ourselves due to our self-worth issues that we can't imagine breaking out of the paradigm in which we currently find ourselves. And that is the upper limit. So he teaches you in this book how to actually stretch that upper limit to imagine yourself being incredibly successful. And then, of course, taking the steps and the the practical work and planning necessary to manifest that as a reality. But so much of this when it comes to being broke, and I've been broke and in debt. I mean, I've I've been a complete loser on paper so many times in my life. I mean, it's been a while now and I'm, you know, making progress. I've been more disciplined about this. And I think a lot of that has come from just doing all of the inner healing that I talked about earlier in this episode and rooting out that trauma and shame from our childhoods, uh, healing you know, the abuse and things that we suffered at the hands of others or ourselves in some cases, 
and really getting down to that self-worth and sense of deserving. And that is all stuff that has to happen on the subconscious level. So that's the real work here. And some of those other recommendations I gave are just practical ideas, just kind of spitballing here because I want to see every listener of the show and everyone in the world do something that they enjoy doing and make a good living at it. And I'm sure you're a wonderful mom to your five-year-old kid. And I want you to feel really good and confident about that and be able to provide for your kid as I know you want to. Uh, On the more practical tip, I recommend definitely creating a vision board or a vision book or even a digital slideshow that show the end goal of the financial success and security that you seek. So, you know, we don't want to have a great high paying job because we want to do that job. We want what that high paying job produces in our life or the end result. It's like the end why, not the immediate why, because we have human needs that need to be attended to, but really, you know, the end goal, where do we want to see ourselves in a year and five years and 10 years, et cetera. So, I have been periodically making vision movies, vision boards, vision books for years and years. And as crazy as it might seem, that shit works, folks. I I wish, you know, kind of sometimes wish I saved my old vision boards because so many of the stuff comes true. After it comes true, then when I make a new vision board, I don't put that stuff in there anymore. Even just weird stuff. Like I always wanted a hyperbaric chamber, got one, wanted to live in a house that looked like this or have a you know, healthy relationship, like the one I'm in or whatever the case may be, um, bringing life to those ideas by manifesting them creatively is much more possible, A, when you've built up your sense of deserving that and being worthy, as I discussed a moment ago, but then also really being able to visualize it. So sometimes I'll have photos, sometimes they're just words. It's like I might even have on my vision board, I freaking love myself, I'm awesome. And as corny as that might sound, that affirmation, just reading that over and over again. Uh, I even will cut out photos of myself and superimpose them in a place that I want to go on vacation or somewhere I want to buy a home or something like that. I mean, I've gone all out with this stuff and it really works. But of course, it's not going to work or it's going to work much slowly if you haven't sort of ferreted out the underlying issues that tell you that you don't deserve to have that security and that success. So it's not really that we want the job or career. It's that we want what that experience promises, the fulfillment, the security, a sense of purpose and meaning. So rather than putting all the efforts into the how of like, I need to find a job, although that's important too, I would recommend putting some energy and visualization and passion into the why and build what the end result of finding that job, career or business is going to be. Next question is from Luis. She asks, has anyone found anything super helpful for low back pain due to degenerative joint disease? I know this is a natural part of aging. I would disagree with that. I would get that out of your mental paradigm. No, it's not. The human body is designed to last a very long time and work very efficiently up until that time. It's a part of domesticated aging. I'm just going to throw that in there. She goes on to say, I'm 36 and don't want it to get worse as I like to be super active, working with a chiropractor now and adding some acupuncture and massage soon, but would love to hear other hacks. I mean, I like those three right there. They might not get to the root of it. Uh, We'll see what we can do here. I'm going to rattle off some of the most effective modalities I've used. Uh, Again, these will be linked in the show notes. Get them emailed to you every week at lukestory.com slash newsletter. See how I do that? I throw that in all the time because I want you guys to sign up for the newsletter, not because I want to spam you, but because I want to send you the show notes to every podcast every week to help you and to make it unnecessary for you to email me and ask questions about what was in the show notes. (laughs) Just kidding. Not 
Not really kidding. All right. Uh, acupuncture, amazing for the nervous system. I mean, I had some done here the other day, knocked me into theta in the most beautific state ever. I love it. Acupuncture has not cured my back pain, uh, unfortunately. I've done a lot of it. It's really good for everything. It probably is good for back pain, but it's not really moved the needle for me permanently, no pun intended. Next thing is called the Egoscu method. And uh, this is something I think would really work if you were consistent with it, but man, it requires a lot of discipline. You got to do all these exercises at home a couple times a day, 10, 15 minutes. You got to really want to be out of pain. And I think Egoscu will work to correct your structure. It puts your bones where they're supposed to be and then allows your skeletal system to reprogram your nervous system, tendons, joints, ligaments, muscles, et cetera, to support that structure. But man, uh, I've given it a shot and it really requires some discipline. But I do believe in it. One of these days, maybe I'll get back on the Egoscu train. A guy named Pete Egoscu invented it. He's been on Bulletproof Radio a couple times. You can probably hear that. There's another modality I love called Alpha Biotics. And uh, again, like I'm saying, you know, I'm telling you all this stuff, my back hurts right now. So none of this in and of itself has cured me per se in a permanent sense, but it has alleviated some of the symptoms temporarily and in some cases for quite a long time. Alpha Biotics is awesome. Uh, chiropractic, of course, as was mentioned in the question. Uh, next one is Network Spinal Analysis. And I've done a show on that. It's also called NSA. Craniosacral therapy, high-intensity PEMF treatment by pulse centers. Now, I have to say out of all the things here, I'm looking at my list, I would say that the pulse centers PEMF has probably, it hasn't cured my lower back pain to where like I never feel it anymore, but that's probably the one thing that's been most useful. I do it at a place called the transformational, let me say this, I've been talking, I need a glass of water. The Transformational Healing Universe with my friend, Dr. Har Hari on Robertson in Los Angeles. He's been on the show a few episodes back. Uh, we did a show with uh, him and um, Troy Casey, the certified health nut. And so I was going into the uh, center there and doing pulse centers. I've also done a podcast on pulse centers, PEMF, a couple years back. You can find that to learn all about it. But I was going in there like two to three days a week and sitting on that pulse centers mat and using their little attachments for three hours a day. And I did pretty much fix my shoulder that had been injured and hurting for a long, long time and um, really, really helped my lower back and hip pain. So, you know, there's all kinds of different PEMF devices. I have a bunch of them at home. I don't have the pulse centers one yet because it's, well, it's like 40 grand. That's why. Uh, hope to get one one day, but that particular PEMF, unlike the amp coil or the halo or the biocharger, they all have their different uses and specialties. Um, the pulse centers is really great for injuries and pain. So that's, I'm just going to emphasize the pulse centers um, as a treatment. There's various forms of laser treatment, K laser, all kinds of different cold laser treatments that can really help um, discs, as can stem cell injections. I had a full stem cell workup couple of years back. Uh, you can see the procedure. You actually can watch the surgery. If you like blood and guts on YouTube, you can see me <laughs> naked uh, as the day I was born on there getting carved up and injected bloody as hell. Uh, I've never watched it because I'd probably throw up, but I did an episode with Dr. Harry Adelson and Dr. Amy Killen of Docere Clinics in Park City, Utah and did a video podcast, whole thing. Now, uh, I did get benefit from that stem cell treatment. However, and it's no fault of Harry's, uh, it did not 
cure my lower back pain per se, but he did inject my vertebrae, uh, the discs rather, not the vertebrae. I think those are bones, but the the space in between, those little gummy things called discs. Mine were a little flat and smashed. Perhaps one could say degenerative. And I haven't done an MRI since then, but I'm guessing that those stem cells definitely helped my spine. So that is that. And then there's all kinds of different peptide therapies. BPC-157 is one of the ones that I use all the time. It's great for inflammation and pain. Eliminating all inflammatory foods, you know, gluten, grains, all that stuff, getting on something like paleo, carnivore, keto, uh, a low inflammation diet. As far as I can tell, the uh, carnivore diet is the lowest inflammation just because I know so many people have cured arthritis and other inflammatory disorders by only eating meat. As crazy as it sounds, I recently did an episode with Dr. Paul Saladino. You can learn all about that wacky diet there. One of my favorites for all body pain, in fact, I want to do one right now because I'm sore from sitting in a dining room chair instead of my cushy home office chair, uh, is ice baths. I do two to three ice baths a day. I'm so cracked out on them. I'm jonesing so hard here in Arizona because I don't have an ice bath. In fact, the tap water here is pretty cold. It's probably yeah, high 40s, low 50s, not cold enough. I, I prefer my ice baths, you know, 35 degrees or so. I do two or three of those back home in LA have one in the backyard. I'll soon have a couple ice baths on my website. They're quite expensive. Um, if you want to make an ice bath yourself, you just uh, do a web search or look at the show notes. Luke Story Ice Bath. You'll find a post that my friend Ben Greenfield did because I gave him my whole you know, uh, building plans to create an ice bath for about a thousand bucks in your in your home or backyard. Here in Arizona, what I do is I fill up the bath and I go to the store and I buy a bunch of bags of ice and I make myself a cheesy little ice bath. But it's it's a great way to just really knock out inflammation and back pain and all pain. Of course, infrared saunas are really useful. Uh, I did bring one of my biohacks here on the road with me and that is this brand new thingy that I'm in love with. It's made by Higher Dose and it is their PEMF and infrared mat. So it's got all of these different amethysts and crystals in it. It's kind of like a biomat, but less expensive and also has PEMF. So you can run like the Schumann resonance through it. So it creates a magnetic field, very relaxing, very healing, really good for pain. And that thing gets so goddamn hot. Again, I'll put this in the show notes and I think I have it on my site store. It's about a thousand bucks if I recall. This thing gets so hot because I'll turn it on high because I want it to heat up fast. I'm talking about, again, the higher dose uh, infrared mat, healing mat. I'll turn it up on high and then I forget and I get on it. And if if you have like your bare skin, I think it might burn you. I mean, it's like, ah, you jump off it. It's so hot. It's really good for pain. It's not going to cure back pain, but it does alleviate pain. Uh, This might be right here, I think, my top recommendation. And again, like Egoscue, something that requires so much commitment to really see a change that I haven't done it that consistently. But my brother Cody's story has been trained in this modality. He's an expert in it. And he claims that it has, but he's very disciplined, much more than I am when it comes to fitness and you know this kind of shit. He's like removed all pain from his body using something called, ready, drum roll, please, FRC or functional range conditioning developed by a doctor named Andrew Spina up in Canada. And I think honestly, from all the things I've studied and tried, this is the most thorough approach and one that can actually reverse issues that we're talking about here by dealing with the root cause, which is joint health and mobility. 
by increasing your range of motion, getting your range of motion and all the joints in your body back to how they are supposed to be pre-domestication. And, uh, you know, it's just incredible, but it does take some work and it does take coaching. You have to learn how to do it, getting an assessment, taking online programs. It's, it's a whole thing, but FRC uh, is really, really powerful stuff. And I'd highly recommend that. Another thing that's helped me is inversion tables, hanging upside down, spinal decompression, hyperbaric oxygen treatments for circulation, building new blood vessels, capillaries, et cetera, PRP, platelet-rich plasma injections into various joints in the back. It's often done in conjunction with stem cell therapy. You can do Quinton C mineral injections. Recently did a show with uh, Robert Slovak about the Quinton C uh, minerals. I think they pronounce it. It's French. I think it's Quinton C minerals. And uh, there is a clinic in Mexico that is said to really help people out with back pain by injecting the Quinton C minerals directly into the spine. Now, I wouldn't try that at home, folks, but I do. Now, I'm not recommending you do this again. Remember my disclaimer at the beginning. But I do inject subcutaneously, not in my spine or discs, uh, Quinton C minerals just about every day because why not? I'm injecting a bunch of other stuff. So I just suck up some of the C minerals in there and it actually helps to um, assimilate whatever I'm putting in there. You know, the NAD, the peptides, et cetera, good stuff. Another manual therapy technique, ART or active release therapy, good stuff. Also the Alexander technique. And out of all the things here on the list, I have not yet actually tried the Alexander technique. But anytime I've complained about back pain here on the podcast, uh, people have sent me recommendations. And one that's come in quite a few times is the Alexander technique. I sense this might be like FRC or Egoscu, something that requires some dedication. And I'm pretty disciplined and dedicated, but when it comes to like getting on the floor for an hour every morning and night and doing some weird movements to fix my back, I'm like, meh, maybe someday when it hurts enough. <laughs> I just, I'm waiting for the magic healer. You know what I'm saying? I used to want to go to John of God before he was accused of being really creepy. Uh, I'm, I'm waiting on a healer that can just be like, boom, I touched you, it's gone. Uh, in the meantime, when my back hurts really bad, I will take something called Kratom. A lot of people call it Kratom or Kratom. It's an herb from Southeast Asia. It's actually a leaf that grows on trees in places like Vietnam and Thailand, et cetera. And it's a ground up leaf. You can buy it online. I would be mindful of the source. Uh, I don't think I have that on my site because I haven't found a good affiliate that I really trust and like, but I, I buy it in bulk and I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of the place I get it from. But it's an amazing painkiller. But I want to say you must be mindful because Kratom or Kratom or Kratom is a natural opiate and it hits the opiate receptors in your brain and you can become physically addicted to it. How do I know this? Because a very close friend of mine who I turned on to Kratom and warned his dumb ass about this didn't listen and he got addicted to it a couple of times and then would have to spend you know, one to three days feeling pretty uncomfortable to come off it. So you can get addicted to it, but it is a natural plant medicine and I'm a huge fan of it. Uh, you know, I'm a former opiate addict. I mean, like street drugs, opiate addict from back in the day. And I'm so grateful to be sober from those plant medicines known as heroin that, <laughs> that I used to get imported from Mexico. 
in people's butts and buying downtown LA. Uh, but when I got off opiates, I mean, I would have never taken something that was also an opiate, but I did a lot of research and uh, was very secure in my sobriety before I tried Kratom. I remember asking my friend Daniel Vitalis about it maybe five, six years ago. He was like, dude, you can't take that. That shit gets you high. Like, do not enter. And I said, okay, okay. And I waited a couple more years and then my back hurt enough. And then eventually I did some more research and found that, in fact, many uh, opiate addicts of things like fentanyl and heroin, you know, whatever, a lot of vets and people with PTSD, et cetera, people with injuries that are strung out on pain meds actually use Kratom to come off those meds. And I thought, oh, that's weird. So, you know, anyway, long story short, with a lot of research and much mindfulness and caution, I did eventually try it. And I found in small doses, it treats pain very well. Uh, but doesn't get you high. Now, if you take enough of it, it'll floor your ass and you'll be super loaded like you can't drive, especially the Kratom extract. I'll do a podcast on Kratom one day soon because it is one of my favorite plant medicines, but have to give a strong warning there. If you have a, a propensity for addiction or if you're in recovery, I would just generally not recommend it because you could go off the deep end and end up back on the street with a needle in your arm or whatever the hell you were up to when you went on to the dark side of opiates. But it is a pretty incredible medicine. Okay, so lastly on the back pain. Now I haven't seen this doctor yet, but I hear great things about him and that is Dr. Matt Cook. I think he's up in San Jose, California. He's doing fantastic work with peptides, stem cells, all kinds of different modalities and treatments. Uh, he'll be on the show soon. I'm gonna go up there and get treated and do an interview with him. And in the meantime, you can find his work on quite a few Ben Greenfield podcasts. In fact, I think that's where I first discovered the work of Dr. Matt Cook. So uh, if you get up there to see him before I do, tell him I sent you because I'm just trusting him based on listening to a lot of his interviews. He sounds brilliant. He sounds really good at alleviating pain, like forever style, like fixing it, which is what you want. All right, next. And I think our last question, oh, God damn it. Now we've got two more. It is what it is, guys. One of these days on these solo shows, I'm going to learn how to just put three questions in my notes. Because <laughs> then I do the intro and I tell you the questions I'm going to answer or I put it in the title and it's too late. I don't want to go back and have it edited. So I just got to keep going. I'm going to try to make this one quick. All right, we've got a guy here. This guy's name's Bob. Bob says, ozone water versus rectal ozone. Healing from mold illness and I want to use ozone, but money is tight. I already have an ozone water generator. Do any of y'all have thoughts on just drinking a lot of ozone water versus going whole hog and getting a medical ozone rectal insufflation thing? <laughs> Love that. Uh, Bob also asked about other mold recovery protocols. And I must admit this topic is not one I've done much research on. So I'm going to take a stab at it. And um, I'm a huge fan of ozone. I just have not really worked with the mold thing because as far as I know, I've not had to deal with it myself. And a lot of the things I talk about here on the show, selfishly, are things that I have uh, figured out how to sort out and want to share with you. But mold has not been something I've experienced in a long-term way. But ozone, oh man, I mean, come on. Uh, you know, I don't have experience drinking ozonated water, but I am a huge fan of ozone therapy in all the forms because the benefits are just endless. Um, if you're interested in getting a generator based on my research, the two best, you know, uh, what do you, not commercial, what do you call it? A consumer models would be made by Simply O3. I think theirs is a little more affordable, maybe not quite as badass as the Mac Daddy, which is Longevity Resources out of Canada. Uh, those are both available on my site. 
I bring my ozone generator, which is an older handmade one I bought off some cat a while ago. Probably not even legal, but I had it tested by Longevity Resources actually. And they said, it's pretty good. It's good enough. It's safe. Uh, I bring this thing on every road trip I make, including the one I'm on now. It is sitting about 20 feet from me in the laundry room and I've used it probably four times since I've been here. Anytime I feel a little funky for any reason, I hop on the ozone and I also use it just for mitochondrial function and you know gut health and all kinds of things. So I use ozone when I'm at home a few days a week. And honestly, I couldn't imagine living without my ozone generator. If, I don't know, it's a, it's a tough call. If I had to like, I don't know, only have one piece of health or biohacking technology, what would it be? It might just be the ozone generator. I mean, it's tough. It's a tough, it's a tough thing. If I could have an ice bath, you know, even like a natural ice bath, like a river, lake, ocean, that's cold as F, uh, I'd take that and the ozone generator. Now, as I said, I've not had mold exposure or Lyme uh, or anything like that. So I'm just going to, you know, kind of take a shot in the dark here. But if I came down with something like that, I'd be doing two to three home treatments per day. And I'd also be doing a bunch of 10-pass ozone IVs immediately. And the IVs can get expensive. Uh, I'll be honest there. You know, Bob said he's a little low on cash. I get it. Many people are right now. Uh, to me, the investment is worth it to just get your own generator. I can't speak to the efficacy of the ozone water. You know, I'm sure it's got its uses, but based on my research and my own experience, I, I would not rely on the water if I was dealing with something serious like mold. That's, that's just me. I'm just taking a stab at that. I would recommend studying the work of Dr. Frank Schallenberger, who's one of the foremost experts on all things ozone, the different ways to administer it, the different um, you know, issues that you can use ozone for. And you might even be able to get into his clinic in Reno and uh, get treated or just call them up and see, Bob, if they have a solid mold recovery protocol that they could share with you or actually treat you. Again, might not be cheap, but uh, you might just call them and they're like, are you kidding? You need to do rectal ozone every day if you have mold. I don't know, but uh, I would give that a shot. The next and final question is from Cody. He says, does anyone have experience in curing slash helping bipolar without medication? Man, this is a tricky one. And I'm going to answer this carefully and with some prudence since I have not overcome this issue personally, although I have overcome quite a few mental health issues, uh, some diagnosed, some not, but bipolar, I don't know a lot about, but this could be caused by a number of underlying issues. It could also be misdiagnosed. I've had close friends that were told they have this, told they have that. They do some work on themselves in the various ways and they're fine. So I don't even know where to begin? I'm going to go to the experts. I would definitely study the work of Dr. Kelly Brogan and get her book, A Mind of Your Own. I know through being friends with Kelly and also interviewing her that she has not only personally witnessed, but also personally treated and helped loads of people with bipolar, schizophrenia, et cetera, using protocols that she'd uncovered in her practice. And most of them had to do with lifestyle changes and not pharmaceutical medications. Having said that, uh, as someone who used to be on pharmaceutical medic uh, medication in the form of antidepressants, I would not recommend to anyone listening to ever just up and stop your medication. It can be a real problem, problematic uh, and, and dangerous in so many different ways. So, you know, while I'm not an advocate, generally speaking, of taking pharmaceutical medications, uh, you know, sometimes it's necessary, sometimes it's not, sometimes you can get off them, sometimes maybe you can't, I don't know. 
But Kelly would be the person that I would look up if I was having this issue. And I've also met many folks who have recovered via deep transformational healing work, you know, breath work, plant medicines, all kinds of therapy, dietary changes, lifestyle changes. I mean, just getting your sleep right, ice baths, et cetera. However, I have to say this again. I said it before, I'm going to say it again, but especially here, be extremely careful if you have mental health issues and are on prescription drugs, if you're considering plant medicines. And if you go to any qualified shaman or you know, retreat center, they're going to absolutely screen you for mental health issues and any type of prescription drugs you're taking. Uh, however, I just, again, I have to be honest and say I have known people personally that have overcome mental health issues with the assistance of plant medicines, but it is not for everyone and something you have to be extremely careful with. I'm just sharing what I've witnessed, all right? Don't shoot the messenger. An anti-inflammatory diet can work miracles, you know, going paleo, keto, <laughs> paleo, keto. Toward the end, I get a little punch drunk here. Uh, carnivore, even for just a brief period of recovery, can uh, be very helpful from what I understand due to the inflammation in the brain as being one of the possible root causes of some mental health issues. Again, I don't know about bipolar, but it's quite possible. I do know that in Kelly Brogan's book that uh, you know she definitely recommends certain dietary restrictions if you want to have a healthy brain and help to alleviate the need for medication. And then of course, you know, adding meditation, brainwave balancing with technologies like NuCalm, uh, neurofeedback to restore brain function, circulation, hyperbaric oxygen therapy to improve brain function and circulation. Anything you can do, you know, again, we're not talking about treating bipolar here. We're talking about doing things that create a healthier brain. Um, and allow it to get back to functioning as it was designed to function. So there's a lot of things you can do if you just start pursuing brain health. Uh, if I was dealing with this, however, I would probably put most of my eggs in the spiritual basket. I think I would really be pursuing building a spiritual practice as a way of life, not something I do here and there in a yoga class. I contemplate God for five minutes at the end of the class during the, the lie out. Uh, but something that I really pursue with great dedication. And for me, the mental health issues that I suffered from, you know, just chronic depression, anxiety, all sorts of stuff that I had in my 20s and 30s, it's pretty much gone. And of course, I've done a lot of biohacking. I've done all the things. But really what has moved the needle more than anything is just developing and cultivating a spiritual way of life and building a relationship with God. And I know so many people have dealt with really difficult issues like autism and all sorts of other things um, really by doing the deep, deep work spiritually. And um, a lot of the things that we experience mentally and physically as pathology have their root in a spiritual discontent, meaning that we're disconnected from our creator. We're disconnected from our sense of purpose, from our sense of faith and hope and all goodness that comes from a relationship with the God or higher power of your understanding. So that would be my recommendation there to Cody. Again, sorry to be vague, but I also you know, feel a sense of responsibility here and don't want to give anyone advice that I don't fully, about a topic uh, about which I don't fully understand. I don't really know about bipolar and schizophrenia and some of these other issues because I've not personally experienced them. But I do have full faith that it's possible for every human being to achieve a quality life. Sometimes we might have to accept some of the things going on in our mind and body 
and learn to live with them. And in some cases, we can indeed heal and transcend them if we are committed and we're asking great questions like Cody asked here in the group. All right, we made it through. Whew. Hot damn. That's episode 317, guys. Thanks for joining me. Uh, again, if you want the complete transcripts of every word spoken on this episode and every link mentioned in this episode and everyone to follow, you want to go to lukestory.com slash newsletter. Or if you have a US phone, text the word lifestylist to the number 44222. And the reason I keep plugging this again is because you know my team goes through a great effort to link out to every book, every recommendation, everything I talk about so that you can read the show notes and just click on anything you're interested in. And the reason I put so much effort into that and requested that my team be so thorough is that I am a podcast listener and a podcast fan. And I find it incredibly irritating when I'm listening to a podcast and there's a book or modality or something mentioned and then I don't know where to find it or I have to stop and do a web search you know, on the side of the road or something because I'm like, wait, what was that? I got I to gotta look into this thing. So I've saved you from um, you know, the treachery of doing that by creating incredible and thorough show notes. And I want you to get them in your inbox every week for free. All right. It's a cool deal for everyone. Share this information and uh, also take a moment to invite you to join the Lifestylist Podcast Facebook group community so we can all stay in contact until we find a less uh, fascistic, corrupt platform on which to communicate and share space with one another. But for now, we're at Facebook. I mean, things are changing quickly in terms of censorship. Every day, I'm just wondering if I'm going to get kicked off the platforms and deplatformed as a heretic and pariah for simply asking a question about the legitimacy of the current, um, I don't even want to call it a virus, the current situation that we face. It's just crazy. The world's fucking crazy right now. All we can do is meditate and pray to God and hope for the best. Uh, But seriously, join the Facebook group and you can post your questions there and I'll do my best to answer them. And then we've got to thank our sponsors without whom this episode and every episode of the show would be impossible. Someone has to pay for this. The team's growing, man. The Lifestylist Podcast, we're doing all kinds of, you know, improvements all the time on the video, on the audio. In 2021, I'm going to be redoing the music and a lot of the show formatting. I'm going to make it less annoying, try and shorten up the ads, you know, just really tighten things up the intros, all that stuff. I've gotten requests from people over the years and I've listened. And so uh, making all these changes and keeping this thing on the rails does cost, surprisingly, quite a lot of money to really produce a consistent and high quality, at least what I believe to be high quality podcast and videos and social media and all the things we do here. And again, you can find all of our sponsors, all the products that I use in my life and always talk about and promote at lukestray.com slash store. It's also a great way to just support the work here and get yourself some exclusive discounts. If you're going to buy this stuff from somewhere, might as well buy it on my site, get a discount, support my work, support your health, and support these amazing companies. You know, no companies end up on my show unless I believe in what they're doing. And I bet each and every company that I feature on the show, and if they're not doing something unique and doing it right, they can go advertise on another show. There's plenty of podcasts out there. I only want the best of the best. And again, you can find that at lukestory.com slash store. And with that, my friends, I want to thank you for your time. Thank you for joining me on this episode. We are now one hour and 48 minutes in. If you're still hearing my voice right now, you are a super fan of the Lifestylist Podcast. And for that, I love and thank you. Be back next week where we're going to learn how to alleviate stress from our life with Jim Poole. That's on Tuesday. See you then.